0: as alaikum, alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Can someone please just give me a sound check please Make sure that we can, uh, everyone can hear me Bismillahirrahmanirrahim <laughs> Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'inama ba'd Uh, Welcome to another class with uh, QP and inshallah Ta'ala. Today we're going to continue with our Tafsir of Surah al and We're on verse number 4. So last week we did the Tafsir of verses 2 and 3. And as we're uh, we're still saying from the beginning of this surah, that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala in this surah is uh, honouring our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, speaking about some of the blessings and some of the bounties that he has bestowed upon him Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And from them is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expanded for him his chest as we took a couple of weeks ago, as we mentioned in the beginning of this surah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the verses that we took last week in verses 2 and 3, Allah azza wa Jal mentions another blessing, another dimension to those blessings that Allah azza wa Jal bestowed upon him. And this time it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed from him a burden. And that burden, uh, the uh, as Allah azza wa Jal says, wa that word "wizar," according to the majority of the scholars of tafsir, is uh, the word "wizar" means sin, right? Or it means some type of sin. But what it exactly refers to and how we understand that is something which we discussed at length last week and the differences that you find amongst the scholars. So some of them said, for example, that it is something that took place before before Islam, meaning in the time of Jahiliyya. Whether that's from from the uh, from what the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam saw around him in the environment that he lived in, from what the Quraysh used to practice during their time and the things that they would engage in whether it's some of the things that maybe perhaps the Prophet himself may have even done himself in the sense that as some of the scholars said that he left that which was best and he did something which was still okay, was still allowed, permissible but there was a better option available and so it's not a sin per se that he did but it's he chose the lesser of the two goods, right, The lesser of the two goods or the lesser or the least of the two good options. Some of the scholars gave that tafsir. And so either way, they, they all speak about it in the context of the time of Jahiliyyah, in the time pre-Islam. And then you have others, for example, who said that what it's referring to is the sins of the ummah. The Prophet wasallam feeling the burden and the heaviness of the sins that his ummah would commit after him wasallam. That burden is something which Allah azza removes from him. And he removes that by telling him وسلم, that his ummah will be the majority of the inhabitants of Jannah and so on and so forth. And that Allah Azzawajal forgives those people who will say, La ilaha illallah and so on and so forth. Others from amongst the scholars such as Abu Hayyan, the uh, famous linguist and, and scholar of tafsir, he said that actually what it's referring to is the infallibility of our Prophet wasallam, That Allah has given him Isma, made him infallible. And that's what it's referring to. And so when Allah says that he's removed from him his sins, it is not a specific sin that is being referred to, but rather an indication that Allah has safeguarded him from all types of sin. And uh, others, for example, Ibn Kathir, in his tafsir, he said that it's referring to uh, the statement of Allah in the Quran, تأخر, That Allah has forgiven you for all of your sins, past and future, either way. All of these essentially come back to the same thing. The scholars have agreed that the Prophet wasallam never performed shirk, never committed a major sin, didn't do anything which would be considered uh, anything which would attack his integrity or his character or his ability to convey the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa And it is, I think, in my uh, in my humble view, enough to say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has removed from the Prophet wasallam all sin. Whether that be that Allah says and others, that Allah has forgiven him for all sins or whether we say that perhaps he made certain mistakes even before Islam in the time of Jahiliyyah because he lives at a time where the people are engaged in certain practices and as a member of that community, you see things that perhaps you shouldn't see and you hear things that perhaps you shouldn't be listening to. Obviously clearly this is all before the Sharia is even revealed and these things are even technically haram in that sense but the, that Allah gives him such a high status that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes this from him sallallahu alaihi wa And in verse three, when Allah says, that this is something which weighed your back down, it was heavy upon you, right? This lends some credence to, these, to the scholars who said that it is some type of, whether it's the worries of his ummah, or whether there were certain things that he did sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that perhaps he thought to himself sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that they were things that perhaps he shouldn't have done it was something which, which the Prophet wa sallam felt. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes from him by giving him that type of uh, forgiveness and giving him his mercy subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those are the three verses that we took or the two verses that we took last week. And in addition to verse number one, we are speaking about now different blessings that Allah azza wa bestowed upon the Prophet wa sallam. Now the... Blessings that Allah Azzawajal therefore mentions are two so far because verses two and three are essentially speaking about the same thing. So Allah Azzawajal begins by mentioning the expansion of the chest. right? And That is a literal expansion as we mentioned, as some of the scholars mentioned, whether it's Jibreel Alayhi coming at the time of the Prophet's childhood or whether later on on the night journey when the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam goes on that night journey and Jibreel Alayhi comes once again and cleanses his heart or whether it's the spiritual type of Expansion of the chest of receiving Iman and guidance and knowledge and so on and so forth. That's the first blessing that Allah mentions. The second blessing being the blessing of what Allah Azzawajal mentioned in the verses that we discussed last week of removal of sin. The third blessing therefore that we're going to continue with today, the one that is mentioned in verse number four, is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, A'udhu laka and raise your reputation high. Raise your reputation high. In um, Mufti Taqi's uh, translation, he says, We raised high your name. And Muhsin Khan says, raised high your fame. And Sahih International says, raised high for you your repute. Uh, I want you to tell me, please, if someone can and type in chat in the chat box and, and let me know what you think the difference is between these four translations. Is there a difference between saying that we raised your name high or your fame high or your reputation high or raised for you your repute is there a difference in this in terms of of the translation what do we think is there a difference in in what those translators have chosen because remember what we said before in the sense that each and every single one of these translations is a type of tafsir right clearly those scholars and those Translators have gone through certain books of tafsir and they have decided upon a certain one, right? Do we think that there is a difference between them? Or are they essentially the same? And if we say essentially that they are the same as some of you are now saying, that you think that they're more or less the same, then what does it mean? That we raised for you your name high. Because there are two ways that you can raise someone name, someone's name high, right? One is a literal sense and one is not so literal. The literal sense is in the sense of you literally esteem someone's name, you raise up their actual name, literally you raise that name and you give it a heightened uh, sense of respect and so on, right? So for example, the name of our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that is the name that amongst all of the Muslims has respect right? and respect. That is the raising of the mention. We will mention this also, uh, how some of the scholars of tafsir discuss that. And others from amongst them, or if you go the other way, another way of raising someone's mention or their name right and remember the word dhikr uh, literally means remembrance right it literally means your mention another way of doing that is 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 uh, less literally and more perhaps metaphorically or even if you like uh, internally and that is that we you raise someone high in terms of their reputation that reputation doesn't necessarily mean their name right you raise someone you esteem them in status that's not necessarily to do with their specific name. That it's the name that you're always referring to. It's what that feels in your heart, and so on, right? And so, which one of those two are we referring to, or does Allah Azza we Jal refer to in this particular surah? What do the scholars of Tafsir say? Um, so verse number four, Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah he chooses the position that it means that we have raised your name high or your mention high, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, meaning that Allah azza wa is not mentioned except that you are mentioned alongside him. Meaning that Allah azza wa is not mentioned except that you, O Muhammad sallallahu are mentioned alongside him. Meaning what? Meaning, la ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. In order for a person to accept Islam, it is a statement that has to be made. And he takes this from the statement of a number of the scholars of tafsir. Uh, and they have similar statements. And for for example, the statement of Mujahid, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, and his commentary of this verse, he says that I, that you are not mentioned, or Allah azza wa is saying to him in this verse that I am not mentioned, meaning Allah except that you, O Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, will be mentioned alongside me. And that is where you say, "Ashhadu ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna Rasulullah." And Qatada, rahimahullah, taala, says something similar that even though we begin with worship of Allah azza wa Jal, the secondary thing where it is coupled with the belief in the messengership of our prophet sallallahu so the worship of Allah azza wa is found in la ilaha illallah the messengership of our prophet is in muhammadur rasulullah and another statement of qatada he said we have raised your name high in this life and in the next in, in the next so there is not a person who makes the shahada nor a khatib who gives a sermon or a lecture, Know someone who prays, except that he will bring your name alongside the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because as we know, if you're making the adhan, you're going to say, I an la ilaha illallah, anna muhammad rasulullah. If you're praying, you're going to say it in your tashahud, right? I an la ilaha illallah, anna muhammad rasulullah. And if you're a khatib most likely at some point, you're going to uh, make some indication or some uh, mention of the name of Allah azawajal and the name of the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wasallam. Praising Allah, and sending salat upon the Prophet wasallam, or perhaps even saying the shahada, uh, and all of this as you know is something very common amongst the scholars of, of, of hadith and scholars are generally uh, more generically anyway. And they use this, uh, there is a narration that some of the scholars use this uh, in terms of sp- supporting this this particular tafsir, and it is a statement or there is a narration of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu anha that is attributed to the Prophet sallallahu that the angel Jibreel alayhi salam came to our Prophet sallallahu and he said to him, my Lord and your Lord has asked us, meaning both me, Jibreel and you, O Muhammad sallallahu how have I raised your name high? And so the Prophet sallallahu replied, Allah knows best. So Jibreel said, Allah Azzawajal said, that if I am mentioned, you will be mentioned alongside me. Right, And this is found by Imam al tabari he, he mentions this narration in his own uh, tafsir. But it is a weak narration. It is a weak narration. And Imam uh, Ibn Hajar, ta'ala, he mentions that there, are, uh, that there is not uh, an authentic hadith with regards to this meaning that is collected amongst uh, like an authentic narration that is mentioned with this particular wording that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said this in a hadith or the Prophet said this in a hadith that the meaning of وَرَفَعْنَا is that if Allah's name is mentioned that you will be mentioned alongside me. That is not a, an authentic narration of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam but despite it being not a, an authentic narration of the Prophet Sallallahu doesn't in any way diminish right? doesn't in any way diminish its, uh, its usage in actually in, in, in many many forms so even though it is not Something which we can see is a hadith or the Prophet said that this is the tafsir or that there is an authentic narration. Its meaning to some extent is still correct in the literal sense. In the sense that the name of the Prophet is often mentioned alongside Allah in a number of circumstances and in a number of acts of worship as we know. Like the shahada, like for example uh, if the khatib is giving a khutbah or someone's giving a lecture. Like for example if someone is praying uh, you know, and, and many other examples that you that we know, and so the name of Allah azza wa and the name of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is often mentioned together. And note that that is one of the ways in which the name of Allah subhanahu wa taala or the name rather of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has been raised. Right? And Muhammad is a name now, as we know, that is so common amongst uh, you know amongst the whole of the world, amongst Muslims and non-Muslims alike, and that is also part of raising the name of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Right? It is something which is part of that. Even though amongst the Arabs, the name Muhammad was not a common name. it Wasn't one of the more common names that the Arabs had amongst them. And that's why you don't find in amongst the Quraysh, many people with the name of Muhammad, if any, that you can come across before the Prophet it wasn't a common name that they had. And so therefore Allah took a name that was fairly obscure, not very well known. And he made it subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, from the ways that he raised the mention of the Prophet is that he raised him in that way that his name becomes well-known, right? And even if you go back to, for example, Victorian England and and, and so on, you will find references where they refer to Muslims in, for example, the Indian subcontinent and so on, they refer to them as Muhammadans, right? And even before Victorian England, in English you will often find them, instead of saying Muslims, because they weren't familiar with the vocabulary and and the names and the correct usage, they would just simply call them Muhammadans, right? As follows of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so that's something which uh, which is which is common. Sheikh Muhammad Alamin Al rahimahullah ta'ala, he says that in this verse, Allah Azza wa doesn't mention doesn't mention how the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's name was raised, or with what it was raised. How it was raised, or with what it was raised. Meaning, in which particular way was it raised? But rather, Allah Azza wa simply says that we raised your name. And he said, and that can be, therefore, in both meanings, right? And this is a very important methodology of tafsir that you will find many of the scholars of tafsir had, especially the, the later ones, Shaykh, uh, like people like Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al sharqiti and Sheikh Abdul al Sadi and Sheikh and Rahimahumullah and others, that when the verse allows you to take more than one meaning and those meanings are correct, then the verse should apply to all of those meanings rather than restricting it. And so therefore the statements of Mujahid and Qatada and others are understood to be examples, right? They're speaking about one aspect of the meaning of the general verse. And so therefore when we say that the name of the Prophet is being raised high, the usage of the word that we use, so perhaps reputation and name should both be mentioned or your mention is something which is raised high on Muhammad ﷺ. Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin rahimahullah, says that it's both. Right, we have the physical or the literal sense of the name of the Prophet being raised high in the Adhan and in the Qama and in the Shahada and so on. And he said, no doubt, that, that also applies then to uh, the Khutbahs and applies to to many different things that we uh, that we see in our in our time. And he said, even from amongst the way that it was raised is the mention of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his name in previous scriptures. Right, as we know, uh, the name of. The Prophet وسلم, as Allah mentions in Surah Tusaf is mentioned in the in the in right in the gospel that came uh, before the Prophet as Allah mentions in Surah Tusaf. Uh, وَإِذْ قَالَ بْنُ, بَنِ إِسْرَائِيلَ إِنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَيْكُمْ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيَّ مِنَ التَّوْرَاةِ وَمُبَشِّرًا بِرَسُولٍ يَأْتِي مِن بَعْدِ He gave glad like, tidings of a prophet that would come after him. Uh, whose name is Ahmed, right? And Ahmed is one of the names of the Prophet, ﷺ, as the Prophet said, ﷺ, in the well known and authentic hadith when he gave five names, right? And he spoke about them. And Imam Malik, ta'ala, in his famous collection of hadith, the Muwatta, he chose this particular hadith of the names of the Prophet, ﷺ. Uh, he chose this hadith to conclude his Muwatta. It is the final hadith in the Muwatta, and the scholars who came after and they did uh, what is known as Khatam of, of Muwatta, and they, they wrote on, on the final hadith and did an explanation. They have many uh, very good points as to why Imam Malik chose this particular hadith to conclude his collection of hadith, rahimahullah ta'ala. But the point being that there is no doubt that there is the literal mention of the name of the Prophet wasallam being raised high. So that's one aspect. The second aspect that we also have then is the other aspect of the Prophet's mention being high, and that is what is in the heart. Shaykh Abdurrahman ibn Sa'di mentions in his tafsir, he mentions the literal sense, but he says that there is another sense, and that is what you find in the hearts of people, and that is the love that they have for the Prophet, ﷺ, and the respect that they have for the Prophet, ﷺ, and the honor that they afford to the Prophet, ﷺ, and frankly, many things that surround him. So, part of that honor. Is that we honor his companions, we honor his wives, we honor his children, we honor his family. Sallallahu Alaihi His companions are honored because of the fact that they are companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and so therefore that honor comes from the fact that they are associated with, linked with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That honor, then, and that love, and that reverence that we have within our hearts is also from the ways in which Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala raised the mention of the Prophet وسلم, to the extent. As we well know, that there is probably really a Muslim across the world who has within them a sense of Iman and a a level of belief within their hearts except that name of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when they know that it is referring to him will inspire within them some love, some reverence, some respect within their heart, some honor for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is ever criticized or cursed or in any way belittled or humiliated by his enemies, then that causes also anger and upset in the hearts of the Muslims. That is also from the way in which we honor the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, a way in which Allah Azza wa jal has raised high the mention of the Prophet ﷺ. So therefore it is a good tafsir to say that the, in conclusion that the meaning of this verse, and Allah knows best, ذكرك, We have raised your mention high, or we have made your mention raise, rise high, or we have made high your mention, that is referring to both strands, the literal sense, meaning the actual name of the Prophet in the way that it is used and the fact that we even say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as a title of or as a form of respect and etiquette when mentioning his name Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and then secondly also in the way that we have it within our hearts and the reverence and the love and the honor that is given to it in the hearts of the believers and no doubt both of those are from the meanings of this verse and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best In verse number 5 then so we've had these four uh, verses at the beginning of this surah in which Allah speaks about three different ways in which the Prophet wasallam has showered upon uh, three different ways in which Allah has showered upon our Prophet wasallam these amazing blessings. Amazing blessings, major blessings that were given to him wasallam. And then in verse number five, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ma'al الْعُسْرِ يسرى. And again, it's similar to Surah Al-Duhan which insha'Allah Ta'ala when we come unto, we will see that Allah جل, after mentioning and taking an oath by a number of things will say to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam how is it possible that Allah could disown you? that Allah could abandon you? and then Allah goes on to explain this didn't Allah find you as an orphan and took you in and found you misguided and he guided you and found you poor and he gave you wealth and so on Allah is showing to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that it's not possible that Allah could abandon him, that Allah could forsake him, that Allah could leave him. And in this Surah Allah after mentioning these amazing blessings upon the Prophet Allah is also establishing another principle. And both of those principles, the one in Surah Al-Duha and the one here, and the one here obviously is about the issue of ease. That despite the hardships, despite the difficulties, despite the trials and the tribulations, that Allah will never leave you without giving you a path and a way out that Allah will always give you alongside that hardship, ease. And the ease, in fact, will be greater than the hardship that you suffer. Both of those principles, even though they are primarily being mentioned in the context of the Prophet they apply to the believers in general. And that's important to remember. Allah azza when He gives this to the Prophet and yes, it is specifically or it is primarily first and foremost being addressed to the Prophet the qaida that we deduce, Right, the principle that we deduce from it is something which applies to the believers that come after the Prophet as well, from the companions and from those who come after them. The companions in their time, it applies to them as well. So if you are a believer and you're someone who turns to Allah and worships Allah and makes dua to Allah and asks of Allah and trusts in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and fears Allah azza wa and loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and hopes for his reward, then it is not possible that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would forsake you and leave you and ignore you and not respond to you. It's not possible. Not possible because Allah Azza has told us Himself that that is how He would respond. So to say that it's not then that it's something that He wouldn't do is to say that Allah Azza is not truthful and we absorb Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from such things. And so Allah Azza when He says that if you do this, then you will have such and such a result, then that is our iman. And so likewise, that principle just as it applies to the Prophet it applies to the believers who come after. This principle also, and as we go through it inshallah ta'ala, we'll come back and speak about it again. But the principle, even though it is primarily being spoken about and addressed to the Prophet it applies to all of the believers. الْعُسْرِ So truly where there is hardship, there is also ease. Truly where there is hardship, there is also ease. Mufti uh, Taqi in his uh, translation he says So undoubtedly along with the hardship there is ease And Muhsin Khan so verily with, with the hardship there is relief And Sahih International for indeed with hardship will be ease right Meaning relief uh, Those are the, the translations that I have in front of me anyway So therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he says this when he gives this principle, it just, doesn't just apply to the Prophet it applies to all of those people who follow the Prophet Wasallam, as well. Uh, Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, rahimahullah ta'ala, he has a book that is known as, as Zuhd, right? the book of abstinence or the book of uh, being minimalistic or however you want to translate Zuhd. Uh, he mentions a, a statement of Abdullah bin Mas'ud an, in his book and he says, that if and, and this is his commentary, even Mas'ud's commentary on this verse of Inna ma'al usri yusra Inna ma'al usri yusra. Clearly, verses five and six are very similar in terms of their meaning, and we will speak about the issue of repetition, inshallah, when we come on to the next verse. But he says that if hardship was to go into a small hole, then no doubt ease and relief would follow it as well. Meaning, wherever you find hardship in whatever circumstance, no matter how difficult or how impossible it may seem for the believer. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala always allows it to be followed by relief and by ease, irrespective of where it is and irrespective of how it is as well. Uh, similar to it is a statement of Al Hassan, rahimahullah Taala, as mentioned by Abdul Razak in his tafsir, and that is that, uh, and this is actually even uh, reported as being a statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Uh, Al Hassan mentions it as being a prophet a statement of the prophet. Clearly, Al Hassan Al Basri is not from the companions; is from the senior tabi'in. So there is a link m- missing in the, in that chain of narration. But either way, he um, he says, Taala, in the tafsir of this verse, for Inna Usri he says that one day the Prophet came out and he was happy and he was smiling and he said, there is no doubt that hardship cannot overcome overcome two eases, hardship cannot overcome two eases. Where does he get the two eases from? Where does this come from this concept of hardship? And you may have heard it uh, before it is common in Arabic that they say, one hardship cannot be over cannot overcome two eases. One hardship cannot overcome overpower two types of ease or two eases. It's taken from this narration that is attributed to the Prophet. And, and we're going to come to, uh, to this point and it's a bit of a linguistic point but it's important so that we can understand inshallah ta'ala when we come to the end of verse number 6 and that is that they're essentially saying that in the repetition of verses 5 and 6 that the hardship is the same that is being referred to. Allah Azza Jal repeats the same hardship but the ease and the relief that is being referred to in verses 5 and 6 are two different types and that's where they get the two eases can always overcome the one hardship. Right. and this is uh, uh, mentioned by Abdul Razak in his tafsir and by others uh, but it is also a weak narration it is not an authentic narration to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and imam al-bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions the same thing but he mentions it uh, as a statement of, of sufyan ibn uyaynah rather than a hadith he mentions it at, as a um, as, as, as a statement of sufyan ibn uyaynah rahimahullah the famous scholar from the scholars of the tabi'in and Sufyan ibn Uyayna in his tafsir of this verse he said that with hardship there will always come two eases. Right? And he said it is similar to the statement of Allah Azza in Surah At-Tawbah Do you expect anything O believers except for one of the two goods? Meaning that either you will have victory in battle or you will have martyrdom. That's the context of the verse in Surah At-Tawbah. Right? So either way you get something, whether you get heart or whether you get victory on the battlefield or whether you die and you get martyrdom, either way it is good for you. And so he says it is similar to that, that Allah is, simil- is similarly saying that there is always a more ease and more relief than there is hardship. Ibn Hajar in his commentary of uh, Sahih al-Bukhari and Fath al-Bari, he goes into some uh, detail concerning this particular narration. And he speaks about it because it's mentioned by Imam al-Bukhari and then he goes through the whole thing of whether it's actually a hadith or whether it's a statement of a companion or whether it's a statement of scholars who subsequently came after, after him. Uh, but one of the things to remember as a principle generally that sometimes the scholars of tafsir in particular but even sometimes the scholars of hadith as Imam al-Bukhari does and he doesn't mention it as a hadith, as he mentions it as, as a statement but he mentions it in the context of a tafsir. One of the uh, principles or the methodologies of the scholars of tafsir when it comes to using prophetic narrations and even actually outside of this, even you will find this very common in the books of hadith where you will find sometimes or even in the books of Aqid, and sometimes, some, sometimes you will come across major scholars who use weak hadith and you're thinking to yourself why are they using weak hadith? Why don't they use authentic hadith? And the reason why they do this sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes is because the principle that is being mentioned in the hadith is correct, even though the wording as the narration as something which we attribute to the Prophet ﷺ is not correct, it is weak. So there's a problem with the chain. There's a problem with an narrator. There's a reason for its weakness and its defect. So we don't accept it as a hadith as a statement of the Prophet ﷺ, nor do we attribute it to him because we don't have that in an authentic format. But the principle, the message, if you like, the uh, you know the the, the core a message that is being given, the meaning is correct. And it's something which is established in the Sharia. And that's why you will find this being mentioned. So even though, yes, it's not a hadith of the Prophet why does Imam Al-Bukhari mention it then in the Sahih? Why does, for example, other scholars of Tafsir and so on, why do they mention this as as a statement? It's because the principle is still correct, right? And it's based on the principle of the Quran that Allah Subh'anaHu Ta-A'la says that the ease will always overcome hardship. Right? Ease will always come overcome hardship so ibn hajar he does a whole long uh, thing in his in his uh, bari as to whether this is a hadith right or whether it's a statement of a companion or whether it's for example a, a narration that is mursan meaning that the, like the the statement like the narration of Hassan al-basri where the companion is missing in the chain so it's something which the which a, a scholar of the tabi'in has directly related from the Prophet even though they didn't meet them and ibn hajar comes to the conclusion that is not a hadith. The hadith or the narrations that are, that are mentioned as it being a hadith of the Prophet is not authentic. He mentions uh, it being one of the uh, mentioned in the hadith of Jabir. An. So, other than the statement of Hassan, because the statement of Al Hassan makes it a mursal hadith. But a hadith, meaning that there actually is a companion in the chain of narration, he mentions that there is a narration of Jabir an with exactly or more or less the same wording. But he says that this is something which is also a weak hadith. It is a weak hadith and is not authentic. But what he does say is more authentic is it being a statement of companions. So from amongst the companions, uh, it is said that this statement comes from is Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah and Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiyallahu An. But the authentic narration that he mentions as the one that he finds um, as being authentic is it being a statement of Umar ibn khattab radiyallahu And he mentions it as being something which Umar ibn al-Khattab uh, wrote to Abu Ubaidah. Ibn Jarrah, عنه, when he was the governor or he was the general of his armies, and it's something which he wrote him in a long letter that he writes. But one of the things that he does in terms of giving him advice is no know, know that one hardship can never overcome two eases. Right? And this is mentioned by Imam Malik in his Muwatta as well. And Ibn Hajj تعالى, says that that is authentic as a narration. That is authentic as a narration. So Allah when He says that with hardship there will come ease, right? With hardship there will come ease. What does that mean? Shaymin al-Thaymin rahimahullah <laughs> ta'ala he says that it is of two types. The first is actual ease, actual ease. So whether that be, for example, if we were to take, and he gives the example of, of the Sharia, right? If we were to take, for example, Islamic laws and rulings, it's actually actual ease found in the rulings of Islam. So for example, you can't make wudu, you make tayammu, right? You can't pray standing, you pray sitting. You can't pray sitting, you pray lying down. You can't fast in Ramadan for, you know, you're traveling, you're sick, whatever it may be. You don't fast and you make up those days later on, right? Whatever the the situation may be, and as we know, the Sharia has built within it, in all of those acts of worship and all of those different rulings and so on, that aspect, that if you can't do something, then it becomes easier for you. right? as the scholars say in their famous uh, in, in their famous principle of fiqh إِذَا الْأَمْرُ when something becomes restricted upon you the sharia automatically expands it for you right? And, and basically what that means is if you find yourself in a position where you're in a necessity or there's something which makes things difficult for you then what it is, is that it's open right? it becomes open, it expands automatically the sharia has built within it that type of ease for people that's one example the second uh, part or the meaning of this is the spiritual side of ease and that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you patience. That Allah Azzawajal allows you to over, uh, overcome that difficulty right? and how many serious challenges and difficulties have each one of us faced in our own lives and with our own situations that perhaps we thought, I don't see where the end is. I don't see any light at the end of this tunnel. I don't know where my exit will come from. I don't know what to do in this situation. And I don't see anything on the horizon that will make it easier. And Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la gave us the patience, gave us the fortitude, gave us the ability to persevere, gave us the ability to have and continue to have that tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that confidence in that Allah Azzawajal has a greater plan for us than even we can understand and see. And then eventually over time, be be it quicker or be it slower, be it something which is short term or long term, Allah Azzawajal made a way out for us. And that is from the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his believers. Right? And so that is one way that you can say that Allah Azzawajal has two types of ease. Right? And that's uh, Shaykh Allah Ta'ala mentions this in his tafsir. So you have the actual ease in the situation because even in the most difficult of times, you still have blessings around you. Allah Azzawajal has still given you something. Someone may be, for example, uh, seriously ill or even now at the time where we're in a pandemic and so on, where things are actually difficult for many people in many different ways. But at the same time, how many blessings has Allah still bestowed and showered upon us individually as families in our communities? That is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then you have the other meaning, and that is that within yourself, the fortitude to overcome those challenges, which can in and of itself be sometimes even a greater challenge than the physical, materialistic, uh, you know, outside world. What you feel within your heart can sometimes be the greater challenge than uh, the other way around Allah Azza gives the person the ability to have sabr, gives the ability, uh, the person the ability to be able to find that path of guidance that Allah Azza gives them to to have the tawfiq and the ability to discern right from wrong and halal from haram and doing things in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is an uh, a very strong meaning, right? That is also a very important meaning that the Sharia brings as well. And that's something which is extremely important, right? That's something which is extremely important sometimes we don't really think about that we see a problem and we're looking for it right we're looking for the solution we're looking for the relief for the exit for the ease where is it going to come from actually even if allah azza wa doesn't give you ease in that way because remember for us ease and we will mention this as you know one of the other aspects that the scholars mention as how the two eases are right in the repetition of the two verses one of the eases is in the dunya the other one is in the akhirah and that is that even though you may not, for example, have some, because some people die from the illness, they never overcome it. Some people, for example, if it's poverty, they may live through poverty until the end of their life. Their ease comes in the sense of their having that reward for the difficulty that they went through, right? And overcoming that and having the sabr to deal with it and that Allah gives them a reward in its place. And that's something which is also amazing because remember, sometimes we're very short-sighted in the way that we think about these aspects and we think about them only from a dunya perspective. Where's the ease? Where's the ease? Oh, this person didn't have ease. They lived their whole life like that and then they died, right? As if that's the end for it. As if that's all there is. Whereas we know better than anyone else that that is actually not even the end. It is if anything, the beginning of what is inshallah, eternity and for that person inshallah, for the reward that Darullah has saved for them. And that's an important thing to remember. And to keep grounding ourselves and to keep reminding ourselves and bringing us back, bringing ourselves back to that principle is something which is extremely important. right? And that is why this is, as we said, not just a principle for the Prophet ﷺ because the Prophet ﷺ went through so many hardships, but Allah made things easy for him as well because the Sharia was revealed to him in stages. There were certain things that were still halal for the Muslims at a time when they had other issues to deal with and bigger problems that they were dealing with. And so the Sharia was revealed for them over stages, over time, in in bite-sized ways so that they could manage their situation. And that was from the wisdom of Allah Subh'anaHu wa Taala. But at the same time, Allah Azza wa Jalla gave them all that fortitude, that iman, that sabr, that patience, that tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to go through what the Prophet sallallahu and the companions anhum went through. And it's the same for each and every single one of us. So long as you turn back to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And perhaps the meaning therefore for us anyway, or one of the contemplations that we can make on Allah knows best, is just as Allah azawajal reminds the Prophet of these blessings that he gave to him at the beginning of this surah before giving him this principle that essentially speaks about difficulty and hardship and trial then likewise one of the greatest ways that we can also bring ourselves to have patience and Iman in Allah and trust in Allah subhanahu ta'ala when we go through similar challenges and difficulties and problems is that we also remember that uh, that, that same principle that Allah begins this surah with and that is, look at all of Allah taala's blessings upon you. Look at all of Allah's blessings upon you and what is given to you. And the greatest of those blessings, the ones that are mentioned first in this surah are the greatest of those blessings. And that is the blessing of Islam and the blessing of guidance and Iman. And that is why Allah begins with it, even before everything else. right? And all of them are related to spiritual, religious issues. But look at how Allah begins with what is the greatest of them. And that is, the knowledge of Iman and knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and worshipping Allah جل, That is the greatest ni'mah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to you. And so long as you have that ni'mah, so long as Allah has given to you and afforded to you that blessing, then every other difficulty and hardship pales in insignificance in when compared to that blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why it's amazing where you find the stories of the companions who even when some of them are given the opportunity to ask for something or demand something or take something, still they're looking at the akhirah because they know that's what's more important, right? Like the famous example of the servant of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Rabia. Rabia is a man who spends his time serving the Prophet He spends his time bringing the Prophet his water for wudu. He spends his time carrying his sandals, and sometimes he would spend the night outside of the house of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam just in case during the night the Prophet sallallahu has some need for him. Rabi'ah in his own life as we know is a poor companion, he's homeless, he's from the Ahlul sufa living in the masjid of the Prophet wasallam. that's where he sleeps, doesn't have a wife, doesn't have children, doesn't have a job per se, doesn't have money, doesn't have income, doesn't have a business, he's completely alone and isolated in that way but what he has is Iman. So when the Prophet wasallam in the amazing hadith when he asks him, oh Rabi'ah what do you want, what can I give to you, what does he ask for? from all of the things that he could need and do with, from marriage and from family and from money and from a place to live and a house that, that he can call his own. He has a greater understanding of the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than perhaps many of us or all of us have. And he says, O Messenger of Allah, I will ureed fil jannah. What I want from you is to be your companion in paradise. In one narration of that hadith, the Prophet even says to him, Awa Perhaps you want something else because he knows his situation. And when the Prophet is asking him primarily what he's asking him for is in terms of his dunya, what do you need to make life slightly easier for you? So perhaps you're looking for something else. But Rabi'ah says, dhaka ya That's all I want. I have no other need. Right? And look at how different that is to the way that we think. I need a home that I can call my own. I need a car. And that's obviously as we keep saying, there's nothing wrong with that. And that is completely halal and fine. The issue that I want to point to is the mindset, right? And the prioritization and what he considers to be more important and what his focus is upon. No doubt if at the same time, at some point he has a house and he's, he's not going to turn it away. He's not just going to ignore that stuff, but look at where his primary uh, priority is. Because when the Prophet says, what do you want from me? That's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's not like your father or your mother or someone else coming to you and saying, what can I help you with? You can't ask them for Jannah. You can ask them just simply for what you can ask them for. But he has a greater goal. Because when the Prophet says, what do you want from me? That's something different. I want your O messenger of Allah. I want to be your companion, your neighbor in Jannah. So then the Prophet says, as we know in that famous hadith, nafsika bi sujood. So then help me by making sajda often meaning, by praying often. right? And that's uh, an amazing hadith and it has many, many lessons. But the lesson that we can take from it here is the way that the companions عنهم, understood this. And that's why the understanding of even these verses in this context should always be understood in the context of iman, right? in the context of the dunya is not the end. But there is another life that is eternal. And so yes, even if your hardship is not overcome in this life, but Allah gave to you ease in this life in the sense that he gave you sabr and iman to be able to deal with it, even with its hardship and difficulty. And then the second ease will come insha'Allah in terms of the reward on Al Qiyamah, in the Akhirah. And there is no doubt that there is a greater ease and a greater type of uh, of ease than the one that is being given in the dunya. And Allah knows best, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make that easy for all of us. In verse number six, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala then gives us repetition. Right? He repeats the verse, "Inna ma'al usri yusra. Truly, where there is hardship, there is also ease. Uh, I just want to look at the translation to see if there is any uh, anything different that is mentioned in that translation. So, with the first verse, the fa is fa inna, right? Fa inna in verse number five. And it's often translated from what I can see here by being so, right? Or for. And that's because Allah is saying, as we mentioned, that if you have been given O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam all of these blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then what makes you think that Allah Azza will not make things easy for you, that He would allow you not to overcome your hardship and your difficulties? So, meaning therefore, right? Therefore, because of what has preceded, therefore. Undoubtedly, along with hardship, there is ease. In verse number six, though, it is a repetition. So Mufti Taqi uh, says, undoubtedly, along with the hardship, there is ease. Muhsin Khan, verily, with the hardship, there is relief. And then in brackets, there is one hardship with two reliefs. So, no hardship, so one hardship cannot overcome two reliefs. Right? And that's basically the, I think he's probably taken that from the uh, commentary of Imam al Bukhari in his Sahih. Because Muhsin Khan often refers to Tafsir ibn Kathir on Sahih bukhari and so on. Uh, Professor Abdul Halim, truly where there is hardship there is also ease. And Sahih International indeed with hardship there will be ease. So there is a repetition here. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala, he says that Allah azza wa Jalla repeats it here to uh, to highlight this issue. Or to, uh, the repetition is to confirm, right, it is to confirm uh, what has been mentioned, being the principle, that indeed, hardship, uh, inna usri yusra, with hardship there is ease, indeed, with hardship there is ease. And Imam al-Shawkani says in his tafsir, that this repetition is to repeat the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The repetition is to repeat and to affirm and to confirm the promise of Allah azza wa jal. That is, the promise being that with hardship there will always be ease, that there will always be ease with the hardship. And then he mentions the difference of opinion that we will come onto later. And the difference of opinion, essentially what it is, is whether uh, whether the ease that is being referred to here is the same, meaning if it is just the same repetition, meaning that Allah is referring to the same hardship and the same ease twice. So verse number five, hardship and ease. Verse number 6 is a repetition of exactly the same, hardship and ease. Or whether the hardship is the same in both verses, but the ease is different. Right? And, that, and that will come to uh, a slightly technical you know, point of Arabic uh, grammar and, and language and eloquence, which we will come on to, inshallah ta'ala, uh, towards the end of this verse. Uh, but that's basically essentially what it's referring to. And so there is a difference of opinion. And that difference of opinion amongst the scholars with tafsir, is whether the repetition is just simply for uh, the sake of confirmation, for example, or just to repeat, just to stress the importance of the principle, but essentially they're both the same, or the one that seems to be chosen by many of the scholars when they say that two eases will always overcome one hardship, and that is that they're referring to the two eases that are mentioned in verses 5 and 6, and that each one of them is different to the other one, whereas other scholars said, no, they are exactly the same. So they will agree that the difficulty is one and the same in both verses 5 and 6. When Allah says, Fa And in verse 6, It is the same hardship that is being referred to. The hardship, the hardship. Whatever that may be, someone's sick, someone's sick, someone's poor, someone's poor, whatever it may be, it is the same thing that Allah is referring to. Whatever it is. And obviously, عُسْر is any type of hardship, whatever it may be. But the يُسْر yusr, yusra and yusra in verses 5 and 6 are not the same there are two different ones so we have those two different methodologies amongst the scholars of of tafsir uh, the um, some of the scholars said that the reason why it's repeated is to show the importance to stress the importance of the principle and to to stress or to give it weight right to give it to give it weight and to give it importance ibn qayyim he says in his commentary And he speaks about the same uh, wording that we have, as we said, from some of the companions and it's mentioned in some of the hadith, although they are weak in their narration, but its meaning is correct. And that is that one, hardship cannot overcome two eases. He said, and that is because Allah Azza wa Jal has ordained that his mercy will always overcome his anger and his forgiveness will always overcome his punishment and his blessings will always overcome the trials and tribulations that you will find. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of goodness, he will always allow it to overcome for the believers what is evil and what is difficult. And the Sheikh uh, Imam Ibn Qayyim, ta'ala, he goes on and he mentions the issue of pain. Right, So when you feel pain, and that pain is there, but at the same time Allah has given you so many other blessings around it. And from those blessings is what is internally inside you and what is outside you and so on and so forth. And then also in terms of the reward that a person finds, in terms of that as well which is going to inshallah but I think we're going to leave this for next week now and that is the principle that is being referred to right why is there a difference of opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir whether it is the same verse meaning that the ease is, is mentioned that is mentioned in repetition is exactly the same or whether it is two different ones that comes to a issue of Arabic grammar and language but I think it will take us too long to go through it now so inshallah ta'ala we will leave that for next week and inshallah I will instead take some of your questions before we uh, conclude um, also, if there's any questions about the, the poetry reading that we're going to do inshallah, ta'ala that's beginning in about a couple of weeks, you can ask them as well if you have anything. But I think it's pretty clear. Alhamdulillah, I think a lot of you have you are on the group now uh, for that. If not, then inshallah ta'ala you can, you can join that. Um, and uh, if you please spread the word. So again, this is not just specifically for QP students. It's something which is open for everyone. So if you have people that you think will benefit or they want to attend or something, and it's just a YouTube link, they you can just simply... No, There's no portals or anything. It's just simply them uh, looking through it, inshallah ta'ala. And some of our um, team, Juzal Munda Khair, our transcrib- transcribing team and so on, have volunteered, inshallah, to uh, hopefully transcribe the, the the lectures as well into notes. And may Allah Azza reward them. So uh, I have a question here concerning the verse of asfal Safinin, whether it's old age or how fire can be reconciled between the two opinions by saying that instead of old age, asfal e is referring to what comes after it, meaning death in the face of the grave, but the grave has a physical part to it, what people can see and witness, the believers see how even the best of ends up being literally lowered to the ground and losing all status, but also the grave has a spiritual counterpart, meaning the punishment of the grave. Uh, so this position perhaps can carry some parts of both opinions. but uh, I haven't found anyone that's actually uh, come said that in terms of the tafsir of this verse, old age or fire. I, I only found also I didn't find anyone giving it uh, saying that it is the grave, um, and and there is a difference anyway because the the how fire, uh is different to the punishment of the grave and the, and the blessing of the grave. So I think. That, that doesn't necessarily apply, and Allah knows best. Uh, does, uh, does it refer to the victory of Islam, meaning does the ease refer to the victory of Islam? We'll come across this uh, inshallah ta'ala next week. But some of the scholars did say that one of those eases in terms of the Prophet could be victory, right? It could be victory in terms of that context. But remember, the, the verse is general, it's not referring to a specific ease or a specific hardship, it's referring to all of them, right? And so does that include the victory of Islam if you mean eventually or if you mean in the time of the Prophet then yes, it's possible. That's also included in that as well. Um, explain one hardship can't overcome two eases. I think we did that anyway. But basically what they're saying is that if there is only one challenge and Allah gives you two ways to overcome that or two ways in which you can overcome that or two types of ease for that then obviously two will always overcome one. Right? Two will always overcome one in terms of of strength. Samira. So do we know which expedition of Abu Ubaidah's that Umar gave this Nasiha. It wasn't for an expedition. Abu Ubaidah radiallahu was the general of the Muslim armies and he was on the battlefront, meaning on the frontier lands of the time which is a sham and Persia and so on during the time of Umar. Radiallahu and Umar radiallahu anhu, as he would often do with his governors and his generals, he would often write to them and he would give them advice. So it's not for a specific battle, it's from the general advice that he would often write to his uh, people with. Radiallahu anhum, ajma'in. Um, is the repetition to emphasize the verse with every hardship there is ease yes it is to, uh, to emphasize the verse and the principle that is mentioned in that verse but inshallah ta'ala we will uh, we will speak about this in more detail next week okay um, okay so So I think inshallah ta'ala that's a good place for us to, to stop and to and to pause and um, I don't think that there is any questions if I've missed something out you, someone can ask but I think that I covered uh, all of the questions that I could find other than the comments that I saw in there. So Khairan and inshallah Ta'ala I will see you next week. So InshaAllah Ta'ala next week we'll continue with uh, the kind of summary and the conclusion of verses 5 and 6 uh, because it speaks about this issue which kind of relates to a principle of Arabic language and grammar but inshallah Ta'ala that's something which we will do next week. Jazakumullah Khairan وصلى الله على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته